FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Welcome. You are listening to and perhaps even watching the Financial Survival Network. And I'm Kerry Lutz. Today is 9-4-20. Well, you had some amazing guests on this week, and you're about to see somebody who I have been a big fan of for many, many years. You see her on Fox News. You see her columns all over the country. Um, really is kind of uh, someone I look up to quite a bit. Her name is Star Parker. And Star, it is such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Hey, we got a lot to talk about and not a lot of time to do it in. So getting right off the bat, we got this election and wanted to get your take on it. What you see unfolding here? Well, I think that if there is one thing that Joe Biden said that we could comprehend, it is that this next election is about the soul of America. And I think he's right. I believe that it's going to intensify as we move closer and closer to Election Day because two conflicting worldviews are on the table. We as a society are either going to be biblical and free in the public square or we're going to be secular and status in the public square. Status meaning all forms of government control in absolutely every area of our lives. So that's what's at stake. It is extremely divided uh, America that we're walking this election into, unlike uh, in recent history to where people just uh, disagreed on some uh, issues and opinions. Now, this one is about war. This one's about the heart and soul of the country. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you are an African-American. And Joe Biden said, if uh, you don't vote for him, you're not black. What's your response to that? And what do you think the community's response to that is? Well, two million African-Americans went into the voting booth in 2016 and pulled the lever for Donald Trump. So for him to take their ethnicity away or their heritage away, I don't know how they plan to respond. I'm hoping that what those two million do is bring a friend next time so that uh, he will sweep uh, the election and that way we will override any cheating that's going on. But me personally, I really don't care. They took my color away from me a long time ago. And since I'm a Christian, I didn't put that much value in that part of my life anyway to have to conform to whatever the culture of African-Americans are supposed to be. And I'm a California girl, so I just kind of like living free anyway. So if they want to take my blackness, good. Now I don't have to get into your debate. I don't have to conform to your issues. Hey, so but isn't it kind of offensive? It's like uh, someone saying to me, if you don't vote for me, you're not a Jew. I mean, I just find that. Uh, that you know, you have to meet this test, a voter test. Once upon a time, there were voting tests given to African Americans by Democrats, like Joe Biden. So it's not inconsistent to Democrats. You're absolutely the Democrats are the party of Jim Crow. They are the ones that decided that we really think that you should be a controlled people because you don't know how to self-govern. They are the ones that even kept blacks in slavery until they had to have a civil war. So we're looking at a consistency here that African Americans, uh, according to the Democrats do not 
are not don't have the capacity to live free. So therefore, we must control every decision about them. And that's what he was actually saying, is that if you're black man and you're not voting for a Democrat, there's something really wrong with you. Maybe you are a, 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 a what do they like to call us, an embarrassment to the race. So uh, they can continue in that philosophy. But as I've already pointed out, there are a couple of million African-Americans that are not buying that. A third of black people have told pollsters for 25 years that they're evangelical and conservative, and about 20 percent are polling as conservative. The challenge for the GOP and or the Republican Party, including President Trump, is to get that 20 percent to pull the lever for him. Last time, even though they polled at 20 percent, only 8 percent voted for him. And isn't it the most isn't it ironic that a president who is uh, constantly berated and demonized as a racist xenophobe is garnering this much support, not just in the black community, but in the Hispanic community as well. And he's been at the forefront. One of his primary uh, campaign promises that he's somewhat delivered on is building a wall to cut down on, on illegal immigration. So there's a cognitive dissonance here between a guy being a racist and yet being supported by so many of the people who he's supposed to be racist against. I guess. <laughs> yeah, just shows you how uh, that particular term really has no meaning anymore and should go the way of the N-word uh, in our dictionaries and in our lexicon. Let, let's face it. People of, of ethnicities in this country uh, will vote their values when given the chance and given information. For the first term, perhaps he didn't get as many votes. But after a track record of three years, seeing how lives have changed and communities have bettered, uh, I don't think that it's going to be a problem for African-Americans nor Latinos to go into the voting booth and say, we don't care what they call you, we're voting for you. So let's look at the civil unrest taking place in the cities, all blue cities, blue states. Uh, Yeah, we've had violence, uh, civil unrest in red states, but it's been put down very quickly. And we've got Black Lives Matter, which appears to be uh, financed by a bunch of white people. And uh, what's your take on what's going on here, what their agenda is? Well, they've been very clear about their agenda. We know that they're totalitarian Marxists and they want to overthrow the United States of America because they believe that the founding principles of our country, the Christianity, the capitalism and the constitution are rooted in systemic racism and therefore needs to be redone. The whole country redone. They want to transform it. They do not believe that we are moving toward a more perfect union. They don't want that union because that union is in those values of Christianity, of capitalism and of the constitution. So we know that. So yes, they're shaking down uh, companies for money. They are threatening individuals for their livelihood. They are using all of the tactics of the KKK, the intimidation, the constant threat. The only thing they haven't done yet is burn crosses on particular people's lawns, but they certainly are showing up in front of their homes. Uh, So these are the tactics. And my hope is that the attorney general will put them on the exact same list where the KKK is so that they will be out of the public square and unable to continue this type of terror that they're raking on our society. I couldn't agree with you more. And... Uh, the fact that when I see uh, so many companies kowtowing to them, it's really distressing to me and just shows that business, all big business cares about is business. Right. Is what they say. 
Well, but that's what they do. I'm going to make a plug for them because although it is a part that they are feel that they it's necessary that in order to stay in business, they have to pay off thugs, that they have to be shaken down by mafia types of tactics. But when you're a company and your survival is dependent upon being able to sell your goods and services and you've got a threat in front of you that says, if you don't give me a billion dollars, we're going to run you out of business. And that running out of business is going to cost you $50 billion and the inability to put that good and service in front of people. It's a business calculation that's being made. The challenge for us as a society is, first of all, to, to make it clear that we don't allow for businesses to be shaken down. But it's been going on for so long, most people don't even realize that it's been going on through multicultural and uh, programs and, and affirmative action programs, but it's been going on so long that businesses are just accustomed to it. It's just part of doing business now doing in business. certain communities. Yeah, it's really, it's tragic. It's tragic. But look what happened just years ago when when um, uh, Jesse Jackson said that Toyota, you, that ad is racist, we're going to boycott you. Toyota just gave $450 million to go away because they knew that over time it would cost them probably $400 billion uh, if they continue to be boycotted and called a racist company. Yeah, they have a rich heritage between uh, Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push Coalition right. and and Al Sharpton's National Action Network. That's right. They're all connected, right, to one worldview. Yeah, it's and it's shocking. Like guy like Al Sharpton has never earned a dollar in his day. He owes millions in taxes, and yet no action is ever taken against him. And got to make you wonder. So. Unlike the race, I don't know of those things, but um, if it's true, then the IRS should go after him. I'm not sure about his personal taxes. Uh, it's, it's been re- widely reported over the years. Okay, well then, I don't know why the IRS doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. Somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they wouldn't do the same past, the uh, same consideration towards me or you. That's right. <laughs> unlike the race hucksters, uh, like Sharpton and like Jesse Jackson, UrbanCure.org actually looks for solutions to help uh, elevate uh, people, minorities from uh, from poor living conditions and poor poor choices in life. That's right. That's right. We promote market-based solutions to fight poverty. So we believe in the messages of faith and freedom and personal responsibility. And we promote them in three areas. We promote them here in Washington, D.C., to the legislators to get them out of the welfare business and and, and stop confiscating goods from other people uh, so that they can pay for these programs. Uh, but we also do it through our own media networks, including BlackCommunityNews.com. And then we have a clergy network where we have uh, pastors who serve in these distressed zip codes to try to empower them and influence them with information that they can try to change their communities. We recently did a billboard campaign in some of the inner city communities just with those simple success sequence to say, if you're tired of poverty, do these five things. Finish school, take any job, get married, save and invest, and get back to your neighborhood. And unfortunately, Black Lives Matters Milwaukee came after us for the billboards there and demanded that Clear Channel Outdoors takes down all of the boards. Milwaukee, but all across the country. And they did. They bowed their knee to them. And although I'm moving into legal matters with both of those companies, one, that Clear China Outdoor breached a contract, but two, that Black Lives Matters interrupted a contract, which is illegal in this country to interrupt another contract with somebody else. But I can kind of appreciate that Clear Channel Outdoor was in a dilemma. They were not only threatening their business, they were using those KKK tactics to threaten the business, but also to threaten the people that work for the business. 
offices. They put the manager's phone number up and told everybody, go get him. And they had all of the discussions with Clear Channel to say, we will ruin you. We will burn you if you do not uh, do what we're telling you to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pathetic and it's yeah. a sad commentary. This is a revisit in history, and the same way we push back the KKK, you don't see them out there lynching anymore. We're going to push back these domestic terrorists. All right, so you raised a point that I want to go into with you. Uh, we all know that in the black community, in these inner cities, the biggest problem is fatherless families out of wedlock births. Now, if you remember, I probably have a couple of years on you, but back when I was a child, more than 50% of the country smoked. And the country started a major educational campaign. And now less, you know, 40, 50 years later, less than 20% of the people smoke. And yet when I suggest this should be that the government should be having a major campaign against out of wedlock births, well, look at me like I am cross-eyed. What's your thought? FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Financial Survival Network is brought to you today by Orin Resources, a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major. It's hot on the trail of the next globally significant discovery, creating enormous potential upside for you, the shareholder. Orin is one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio, including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management has a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets. No wonder Orin's been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and the NYSE under AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Well, I did not agree with what George Bush tried to do when he was president through his faith-based initiative to try to incentivize with tax dollars um, people's behaviors. What I believe should happen and what we firmly promote through Urban Cure is to dismantle the welfare state. The reason you're seeing record numbers of -of out-of-marriage births is because we pay people to have children outside of marriage. You stop paying them, they'll stop doing it. It's underappreciated that in the 60s, before the social engineering began, uh, we saw black family life healthy. 78% of husbands were in the homes married to the mother of the children. That number reversed right and began to reverse right at the point that we passed the great society's uh, grand illusion is what it ended up being, war on poverty. So what you have to do is in that war, we have put 24 trillion dollars into that war. We spend $900 billion annually as a federal government on anti-poverty programs. And I have yet to hear anyone articulate which one is working well for the people, which one is working well for the country, uh, because their answers are none and silence. So yeah, that's the best thing to do to solve that problem. You want to reverse those trends, get out of the abortion business as a country and get out of the welfare business as a country. And I remember in the 60s where a woman wanted to apply for welfare, the husband had to be out of the house and they would make surprise visits to the home. And if he was caught there, 
they would lose their welfare benefits. That was in the 60s. By the time it got to the 80s, when I went on well, when I was living on welfare, the social workers don't even come to your house. My social worker called me that day that she was supposed to come and said she wanted to go to lunch with her girlfriends. So if anyone ever asks, just pretend she stopped by. Well, I didn't want her to stop by because I was not only living with somebody, but I was living way beyond the means of what you would think that a welfare recipient should be. Had a subterranean garage, had an entry key to get in where I could see somebody who is coming and a pool in the back. So I think that um, the whole system is a fraud and needs to be dismantled one program at a time. Hey, well, that's a great point. And if you remember, about 20 years ago, Christine Todd Whitman, she was governor of the state of New Jersey and proposed and implemented if you were on welfare and you had another child, you got a cutback in your benefits. And there was a revolution. I mean, it was war for about six months till it was finally implemented now it's been all but forgotten. Well, it has been forgotten because elections matter. And after federal welfare reform was passed and Bill Clinton signed a law, I actually was consulting on that particular initiative in the 90s. We saw the roles drop in half. We saw women be able to recover their lives. We saw men become much more responsible by the children that they that they uh, have. And, um, and that changed when Bush came to town because he decided to bring welfare back to Washington through a faith-based initiative. And then next thing you know, he had another election and Barack Obama just put it on steroids. So uh, there has been there have been those problems. Unfortunately, uh, one term under Trump has not gotten to that particular part of our dilemma as a society to start making some significant changes. Uh, those changes do need to be made. And if he gets a second term, uh, I'm very hopeful that he will begin the dismantling process. Yeah, uh, as am I. I hope you are correct. Uh, it certainly needs, if there's ever a failed government program that needed to. But it's all of them, though. And this is a problem, Carrie, because there's not energy. Once people come to the swamp, they like the swamp. And, and it's a problem because when you think that you can really do good work out of HUD, uh, then you've deceived yourself. When you think that you can kind of do good work out of the Department of Education, you've deceived yourself. When you think you can do good work out of the Department of Labor and the list is long of all of them, uh, they should not be in existence. And so if you're going to really do good work on behalf of the people that are at the lower end of the economic structure in our society that are struggling through their life's decisions, the last thing you want to do is keep them addicted. What you want to do is start transitioning them into health and wholeness. And the only way to do that is to bring it right back down to a very local governance where churches and communities are involved in the lives of those that are in despair. And I totally agree with you. Uh, but do you just go cold turkey? How do you implement this? Well, one way that you do it is you voucherize everything. You just start giving, letting the money follow people where they want to go. Let the money for in education follow people to uh, to the schools that the parents want for them, so that they can get a school that's going to teach wholesome living and values in addition to reading, math, math, and uh, and science. You also do that in HUD. You just voucherize the whole thing. Let people go free and go live anywhere they want to. No strings attached. Just go. And you also uh, take homeless situations out of HUD. This is homelessness is not a housing problem. So the $4 billion that is in HUD for homeless, it's because the budget doubled, now homelessness has doubled. So you get it out of there. First of all, you voucherize anybody that has a homeless situation. You just allow them to go to any health program that they need, but you move all the rest of the money over to HHS because we already know as a society that a whole lot of this challenge is rooted in substance abuse. And so you move it over to Health and Human Services so that we can get into the, the, the substance questions, you can get into the mental health questions and other places. You don't do that in a housing program. Yeah, it's so true. And I couldn't agree with you more, but we kind of live in a world where 
economics has gone out the window. Unlimited budget deficits doesn't matter. There's no fiscal sanity. And as you've amply demonstrated, Star, a lack of fiscal sanity has a direct impact upon people's lives, especially in the poorer communities where they're dependent upon welfare. Because if we didn't have a deficit, there wouldn't be room for a welfare state. We, the federal government takes in about $3 trillion and they spend $4 trillion. You're absolutely right. And what's the most pitiful part is less than 20 cents on a dollar in our poverty programs actually reaches the households we'd say we're trying to help. It's all bureaucracy. And all the people that are in charge don't want to bring down those bureaucracies because, boy, does it feel good to sit on top of a department that has this big a budget with this many people working for you. Uh, yeah, it's a scam. But the challenge for all of us, in particular for those of us at Urban Cure that are really trying to help that little lost sheep, is that every time they attempt the help from a federal hand, they're making matters worse. Yeah, and we've seen that over and over again, the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> and Milton Friedman once said, that if you really want to know the true intent of a law, just put the opposite so unemployment insurance, he said, was the most effective program ever because it guaranteed there would be unemployment. That's right, yeah. No, yeah brilliant thinker. And I think that uh, prior to uh, where we are today, if more had listened to the wisdom in Milton Friedman, we might not be here today. But the Friedman Foundation is continuous work uh, and, through insurance, and that's a good thing because they are on the front line, the cutting edge of making sure that educational opportunities are available for that next generation of youth uh, who are coming from a lot of these broken homes and have bought into the lies of the left. Uh, and there might be a second chance for them if we can get them into private schools where teachers actually care about them. Your mouth and star, you know, to me, the most racist thing in the world is uh, public education in the inner cities. It's a, I don't look at it in racial terms because uh, public education is an equal opportunity destroyer. Anytime you have unions involved in anything, then you're going to have uh, the poor people getting the rookies and the rebels. We see that in teaching. We see that in policing. Uh, the rookies and the rebels get assigned to poor communities because the union contractors uh, make sure that they can't be fired. Uh, so, yeah, you're it, and, it, and they don't destroy anybody. They are equal opportunity destroyers. They have nothing to do with race. If you find yourself on the wrong side of, of the track, uh, you've got rookies and rebels in yeah. your community. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It just seems like the black community has bore the brunt of it. It is disproportionately. You're absolutely right about that. We were disproportionately poor, disproportionately broken family, so disproportionately in challenges. But I want to remind folks in the country that it's not all hopeless. 39% of the African-American community live in the suburbs and 75% are in the middle class. So it is possible for us to really fix that little uh, lost one, that, that to get that 25% healthy again. The challenge for us is we've concentrated that 25% in our urban core, and so it's maddening there. And so it looks like it's all of the community, and it's not. It's still at least manageable. It's big, and it's hard, but it is manageable if we get perspective that we're talking about a quarter that is in dire strait. When it gets to the tipping point of 50%, we're in trouble. But if we can keep it at a quarter, we can fix it now, uh, we, we, there's hope. And one thing I, I wanted to just uh, mention before we conclude, during President Trump's tenure, poorer minorities and African-American people have opened up and started businesses than ever before. The, the majority of new businesses started in the past three and a half years been by minorities. So to me, 
I, I agree with your message of hope. That this is a good thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, when you have deregulation and, 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 and lower taxation, then yes, people prosper. You're absolutely right. We haven't seen this type of activity in the black community to move people from very, very low economic status into the middle class since Ronald Reagan, because he did the same thing. He reduced regulations and reduced taxation. Once you do that, you know, let's face it, money is fungible. It likes to create more of itself. It's just got a nature that just wants to go make more. So once you make a little bit, that's why our billboards say take any job and just work harder than the person above you. Because once you make a little bit, once you have a job, you make a little bit, you want more. And so you're going to better yourself to get to that next station in life. What our challenge is as a society is we pay people so long not to work at all that we're in the second generation that people have not even seen what work means. Yeah. And that is a real crime because work is the way that we build self-esteem and mm-hmm. accomplishment and self-worth. That's so right. if you don't have it, you're really lacking something made. Well, we see it in the streets. We, for the boys that do not have dad in the home, married to his mom, to channel his energy between sports and studies, it's in the streets. And that's what we're seeing. And then they up against a unionized police officer. And boy, that's not a nice combination for us to see. Not in the least. And uh, well, we want to thank you for coming on here, Stars. You're welcome. And you find uh, more of Stars' work over at urbancure.org. Link to it in the show notes of this interview. Hey, we wish you the best of luck and we're pushing for you. And be well. And I'll come back on with you another time. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Oh, thank you. FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.